making a better tomorrow. <laughs> a murderer was captured this morning and tried today. Guilty. Sentence, death. Execution tonight at six. All net, all channels. Would you like to know more? Uh, it's kind of scary, right? That that's kind of basically where we're at now. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> a great New Yorker essay about Starship Troopers that if you haven't read, uh, you should check it out. But it's basically just like, oh yeah, this is this is what happens. We're in Starship Troopers now, <laughs> minus the bugs. <laughs> well, I mean, the bugs are just you know COVID and mass shooters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the scapegoat, right? Right. <laughs> Oh boy! Welcome, welcome to Film Trace, folks. Uh, this is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production, all the way to release and reception. It is another season, another cycle. We're doing Future Wars, and this is episode two. We're focusing on. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. It's episode four. I screwed that up. It's the 1990s. Yes, uh, we're doing the Matrix and Starship Troopers with a special guest. Evan from Spoiler Piece uh, Podcast, Spoiler Piece Theater. Evan, introduce yourself. Let us know what's going on, man. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on again. I've been on Film Trace a couple times and had a great time, so I'm glad to be back. Uh, I'm on a co-host of a podcast called Spoiler Piece Theater. We review new release movies every week, and our tagline is, we don't give a shit about spoilers, we just want to talk about the movie. So we just dig into films be it uh, blockbusters indies kind of all over the place in terms of the types of movies we review uh and you know we just like to dig into it we talk about what we want to talk about and you know spoilers be damned spoilers be damned i love that i was trying to see like what the last episode you were on with us i think was it cabin in the woods and teeth was it that that sounds like so long ago self-aware horror (laughs) that was our first cycle uh, that we when we changed the format um (laughs) It was a fun one. All right, uh, was the Matrix? How do you want to? How do you want to dive into this, oh gentlemen? My gosh. It's a tough uh, one. I'm. I mean, it's a minefield. Right, it absolutely is. Uh, I, I mean, I'm curious to just kind of talk about our histories, not Got just to. with yeah. the first one, but the the franchise as a whole. Ooh, okay, um, you want to go without, there? Yeah, without getting too deep into it, but we did. Okay. Uh, uh, we did briefly talk about the Matrix back um, in the first episode of this season uh, because um, in the 2020s, obviously, the franchise returned with Matrix Resurrections, and uh, it, it's it, it's so crazy to think about how much of a roller coaster it has been for those of us that you know went to go see the original trilogy in the theater and. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then with all that time that passed and everything that um, changed with the genre of sci-fi, of talking about AI, which was the focus of that initial episode because we uh, talked about the creator. And I, I'm just, I'm the, my biggest takeaway with my latest rewatch. And I, I mean, I feel like I've rewatched this every few years just yeah. because it's so rewatchable. Um, for mm-hmm. me, it was just how weird this movie is. Like, it's just, it's a bizarre film, especially one to have uh, kicked off both a major, you know, blockbuster franchise as well as the careers of these um, auteur siblings. I'm so curious to, to, to dive in. So when I started with The Matrix, I was you know 16 and completely enamored with uh with it saw it in the theater a couple times with friends with my brother and then had a horrible time um (laughs) making my way through uh (laughs) matrix reloaded and revolutions and then all the time passed started watching the original matrix regularly and was super psyched to watch matrix resurrections um and i thought it was okay yeah, uh, it wasn't that bad. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Um, what about you? Let's let's let our, our guest go first. Yeah, guest Evan. goes first. Give us your history. Oh, shucks. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I didn't see it in theaters, but I think we're you, we're around the same age. So I remember seeing it maybe like a couple of years after it came out and really enjoying it. And then that was right around the time that the other ones were coming out in the theater. So I did go to see uh, Reloaded and Revolutions. Yeah. They're all our names, so I'm just trying to make sure. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> I saw those in the theater and actually really enjoyed them at the time. And uh, then, you know, upon having a little bit of distance from it in in previous in, in the following years, I ended up watching the first one again and didn't really watch the other ones until the new one came out. Uh, what was it? What would you say it was called? Resurrections. Yeah, Resurrections. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went back and revisited them and I was like, okay, they're all right. They're still kind of they take things in a weird direction and yeah. don't. I don't think it all kind of like wraps up effectively. So I was kind of glad that they revisited with uh, Resurrections. And I, I enjoyed that one. And I, um, I was glad that they did it, but I don't really know where we go from here. <laughs> yeah. It's like where, yeah, it's kind of at an end point. It feels like, um, I remember I the, the night that I saw this now I'm correcting saying this, I have to go back and look, but so this came out in what March of 99, I went mm-hmm. opening weekend and the opening night. So it was like the Friday night when it opened because this is before they did Thursday previews. The entire experience is like seared in my mind. Nice. Like it is one of my favorite movie going experiences ever. Like I walked out of that theater like a changed human being. I was like, <laughs> what the hell did I just see? It just like, for me, it scratched like every itch that I didn't know that I had. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I absolutely. You know, I adore the movie. Um, you know, the sequels and stuff I, I don't like. Um, I tolerate. I saw them in the theater, you know, super disappointed. But like, to be honest with you, like I kind of knew they weren't going to be good because it had been like, what, four years since this had come out and doing them two back to back. I was like, this is never going to work. <laughs> the first one, you know, it has it's probably one of like my favorite opening half hours of any film hmm. where it has very noir cyberpunk and it just almost hmm. it creates such a rich world that you just you never want to leave it and i was like this is it's just such a feat what they did um i do wonder you know with time it's tough because i loved the first one so much i did not like the sequels and resurrection you know is kind of a meh for me you take it or leave it um for some reason when i rewatched this it was actually today um it didn't take anything away from the original. The fact that I no. didn't love the the sequels right. and stuff. I don't know what your experience was with you guys, but you know, am I safe to say that we all loved the matrix? Evan, did you yes. love it? Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. And so like the, um, the post uh, script of all these other sequels and stuff, has it taken anything away from it from you? For me? No, I, I think that's, uh, definitely a notable kind of exception to the rule, um, yeah. except, you know, the one kind of uh, other, and it's also sci-fi franchise that comes to mind, and we'll get into it in our 80s episode, but like, regardless of, you know, what you think about the, the varied uh, quality of all the Alien films, um, I mean, I, f- I still feel like the original Alien film is is something like on its own. I can always go back and just rewatch that. And I, I have a a great fondness for aliens as well. So it's not quite the same, um, um, factor or ratio of (laughs) good to bad as we have with the matrix or good to okay. Um, cause I do, I I think it is worth mentioning that I I remember not hating reloaded. Um, but I remember just like, completely just like sinking into my chair i have a very visceral memory not of seeing the first matrix even though i know i saw it a bunch of times and loved it but of matrix revolutions and just like sinking into my theater chair and just being like (laughs) this is where we're going um me too i was in london when i saw it and i was was like and i was like i want to leave like I want to like walk out of this. Theater. <laughs> like I felt like ashamed for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Why is that though? You know, like it's like what? Evan, you like the sequels, didn't you? And you saw them. 
I did. Yeah. I think I was really responding to the actions that pieces, sure. especially in Matrix oh, Reloaded. Yeah. I think it has some really yeah. entertaining the, action the pieces, like highway the stairway stuff. flight, yeah. highway yeah. stuff. Yeah. All this stuff was just really compelling. And I think upon rewatch, I, I, I liked it better than Revolutions and was able to enjoy it more because it's so action-driven. Yeah. And I think the, the pacing of it is what worked well on rewatch. And maybe that's what I responded to originally when I watched it. Yeah. Um, and then kind of getting back to your initial question about the first film, I feel like I can watch it and enjoy it and, and don't have to think so much about the sequels. Yeah. But I think that's because when they made it, they made it very smartly in a way that it was kind of an ending that could just be an ending to the movie and you wouldn't necessarily need sequels because <laughs> you know at the time i'm sure they just weren't banking on the idea that they were going to make more of these yeah and so i think when i watch it i'm like it feels like a self-contained yes. world and i can watch it and enjoy it on its own and not even kind of have the sequels in my mind at all right i think going back to another thing that's what you guys are saying is making me think of especially regarding to like action set pieces the theme of this cycle of episodes is future wars right we were looking specifically at sci-fi films that are both kind of futuristic in nature but also like basically predicting some kind of mass uprising or uh, battle between forces largely you know intertwined with the themes of technology and the advancement of technology and the thing that like makes me i guess wonder um uh, maybe I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse, but like one of the things that I truly love about coming back to the matrix nowadays is um, not just seeing it as this kind of commentary uh, that also has like amazing, like iconic, like rev, like, you know, standard setting uh, set pieces for action filmmaking, but that yeah. it also, it has a really like dense, like, full of possible interpretations uh, allegory with regards to not only um, AI and like self-identity and the hero's journey and all that stuff, but also like biographically autobiographically from the Wachowskis as uh, uh, an allegory for, you know, discovering your true gender and their own exploration um, uh, and, you know, uh, affirmation confirming their genders as uh, trans women and that yeah. feels like a whole other aspect that just i wondered i i, I had similar plans to you evan to re-watch the sequels in advance of resurrections coming out and i just watched the first matrix again right before resurrections and i was like yeah i think that's good enough i'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm dipped my toe in that's all i really want to right <laughs> But what what is it about? I don't know. It, going back to like the self-contained idea, the action set pieces. Like, I think it also goes back to what I was originally saying about how strange this movie is. Like, yeah, it's, I'm surprised that you didn't realize that when you first saw it. No, I for whatever reason it felt like you know I mean it was so different. Like going to see a movie in the yeah. '90s as a teenager where I was like yeah. super impressionable and I was just like basically told, you know, through marketing and through like, um, uh, you know, motion picture soundtracks, like what was the standard, what was the norm. And I didn't, I just really thought that it was just like a, a cool futuristic sci-fi movie with Hong Kong Kung Fu action. <laughs> but like <laughs> even saying that out loud, you know, uh, well, 24 years later, it seems silly. I just remember the opening, like the just the opening, like fifteen minutes. I was like, and being in the theater, like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. Where did they shoot this? Like, number one, because it didn't look like Los Angeles or any place they normally shoot movies, and the way that everybody was acting, the action sequences, it just, you know, like even Carrie Ann Moss's uh, what's her name, Trinity, her outfit. I was like, this is just feels bonkers mm -hmm. to me. Like I'd never seen anything. You know, it had hints of like mid '90s action movies going on, and make maybe like hackers or whatever. Yeah, but you know, it, it, there was something so it felt so lived in. It yeah, didn't feel like a put exactly. on. 
Exactly. You know, yeah. it felt like the people that made this kind of live in some sort of world that is a deviation of this. Um, and it's, I don't know, like that's the thing that stuck with me, um, stuck out to me immediately when I was watching. I was like, oh, this is something different. And, and you know, by the end, it, it kind of gets a little bit cliche and you can, you can feel whiffs of the sequels at the end of The Matrix. But like it, mm-hmm. it, for some reason, it just holds together so well for me, uh, even after all of these years. Um, I don't know what Evan. What do you? What sticks out to you as something? You know, you talked about the action sequences in in the sequels that you kind of latched onto as being you know, amazing. And what is it about the the first one that you know still to this day you hold something? It holds you. I think it's, uh, I mean, obviously the action, <laughs> that's definitely one of the things, but you know, some of the stuff that Chris was talking about, that it's, uh, there's a lot of layers to it. You can access it in a lot of different ways. You can access it on a purely visceral action movie level where it's super entertaining and very cutting edge, uh, in its effects and its ideas that were, you know, duplicated and <laughs> copied by many other films, uh, parodied endlessly. I mean, I, I can't even count the number of matrix oh, parody yeah. sequences i remember where the you know someone jumped in the air doing the crane kick and froze <laughs> bullet and time. And, and, yeah. yeah bullet time and max Payne and, and things like yeah, of that yeah. sort but it's also just a really fascinating you know uh film that explores so many different themes uh as you mentioned you know g- gender identity um oppression like fascism there's there's just so many layers to it and that's what i respond to and watching it again and again it's it's got all the great entertaining action set pieces but i feel like there's more kind of like layers to peel back and in places and ways to kind of access the story and this time for me was really thinking about it a lot more in the context of the trans allegory um and the you know the writer director's exploring their own gender identity and kind of seeing the places that it kind of seeps into the film and in ways that it kind of the story is taking off on that and commenting on that so that for me the most recent viewing was just kind of like soaking in that layer of it and just appreciating it on that level and especially like the cinematography this time around just the kind of layers to the cinematography and the way that it kind of if when you first go in the matrix it has this kind of like dingy like greenish hue but as the movie goes on and and neo becomes more kind of like awakened his time in the matrix is like brighter and brighter and brighter and you feel like he's gaining like more control and competency over like his (laughs) abilities in there and so that was something that i was picking up on this most recent viewing we i think we all have like good um like critically what's the term i'm looking for rich views of the film but one of the things that sticks out to me at the matrix and sort of living with it for the last whatever how many years it's been um is how much like fight club which came out this year as well 99 has this sort of strange following around it that like even to the point where you know in the alt-right movement like red pilling somebody is a whole thing <laughs> like what do we make yep. of that oh because God. it's like in fight club's the same way where you know you read the book fight club and you see the movie as well obviously it's a, a critique of fascism right but then you have somebody watch the movie and they're like oh yeah this is amazing and they're like like tyler durden and like project mayhem and they're into it and, and i don't know there's something about these movies that were so powerful when they came out that it's like the effect of them there's a lot of unintended effect where it changed culture and changed conversation about these topics like identity and like knowing the social constructs and specifically surrounding identity that like it, I don't know. It almost kind of feels like it's maybe dangerous in some way. And I hate saying that, but that's what it feels like, like (laughs) presenting these ideas. You know, it's funny, like going through this and reading about like how it was made and all that. The one thing that stood out to me, you know, because, you know, I went on to study like literary theory and postmodernism. 
And, you know, probably this film is one of the reasons that I did that because it was an introduction to those ideas. And like, they, I love that they made the uh, cast and crew read uh, Jean Baudrillard's uh, simulacra yes. and simulation, which is not an easy text. Like that was difficult when I was in like school. It's very, very difficult and hard to get through. And the ideas are very, very challenging. Um, and I always find that interesting that they were able to express um, what Baudrillard was saying in a pretty simplistic way. But I do wonder, like, did you got when you watch this for the first time and you watch it now, do you feel like it's saying something from a maybe philosophical viewpoint that is unique and interesting and something that you have latched onto? Or is it, is that kind of something in passing that kind of faded away? For me, it was like, I, Okay, there's two aspects to this. One which you didn't mention, and then I'll talk about the the whole red pill thing. Um, But the the other kind of aspect that I think's been more forgotten because it wasn't like memed to death is uh, the whole like trench coat thing of of the turn of the millennium. I don't remember if you know, remember the this. Yeah, it, it, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember Dan, but like at our high school, that yeah. like there had be there was a group of kids, I believe, that referred to themselves as quote the trench coat mafia. Yes, I remember. Oh this. my gosh! And yeah. it was, and it's. I mean, it's it, it's not that just Matrix. There was like it was like goth music, and like also the middle school in our district was the one that like got on MTV News for banning Marilyn Manson T-shirts. There was just like yeah. this really intense culture war happening back then even before like the internet really uh took hold uh and and made things you know both better and worse uh when so whenever i watch this movie um i I can't help but think about that and how it you know created this environment especially with columbine uh happening you know our, did that happen our senior year, Dan? Yeah, I was just looking this up because when you said trench coat mafia, yeah, the first thing that popped into our head is because they uh, something about the Columbine people wearing trench coats, right? Right. I remember the day after it happened at our high school, someone wore a trench coat and got suspended, right? Do you remember this? It was nuts. Columbine happened a month after the Matrix came out. That's crazy. Not even a month. Wow. Like three weeks. I didn't realize that. Right. That, I, I never put those two together in my head. And I was like, okay. wait a second. That's, that is nuts when you think about it. They're they're ever linked in my mind because yeah. of what happened at our high school. And, yeah. um, and also just like, it's one of those things where from my vantage point, especially because like I had a older brother that like kind of raised me on, uh, like Kung Fu and Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and stuff like that. So it was like, I knew I kind of had a, a, a better understanding, I think probably than like most adolescent males going to see the matrix of yeah. like, just how uh, like wink, wink, nudge, nudgy and humorous. I think yeah. over the top, it is these scenes <laughs> that have become iconic. I think with, you know, devoid of the humor of uh, them like opening their trench coats and pulling out all these giant machine guns. And part of it is going back to like the Baudrillard thing about the, you know, simulacrum. Like this is, this is them like using the matrix, the, the simulation as like a, a a hero worship gun worship kind of um, conduit for, you know, overtaking um, the, the, the agents and whatever. And so like when you, so when I look back at that and then also this like red pill, blue pill thing, it's, it's particularly um, kind of both frustrating and enlightening because I, I think it can all be distilled down to, um, you guys know that like <laughs> viral tweet from, I think it's Lana Wachowski where yeah. she uh, um, re like does a quote tweet of Elon Musk and, I think it's Donald Trump Jr. or Ivanka Trump. And it's like Ivanka or Don Jr. or whatever said, like, are you going to take the red pill? And it's like the the meme of like Boris hands. And then Elon Musk says, like, red pill forever or whatever. And then then Lana Wachowski quote tweets it and says, fuck you both. (laughs) 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 And... 
I think that's just like a, a perfect kind of distillation of how the whole themes of the matrix like so many other things from like, you know, the, the misreadings of masculinity in breaking bad to, um, I mean, so many other texts where it, it, it's drenched with layers of dense meaning. And then it gets kind of unfortunately diluted down to this really dumb broy kind of, uh, simplistic view. And then it gets co-opted. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I, I'm curious to see, I was wondering if that would happen at all in a kind of a knee jerk way to matrix resurrections. But I think unfortunately, especially cause you know, it came out with the pandemic and the like simultaneously on HBO max and theatrically that it, it kind of felt like a blip on the radar, unfortunately. Yeah. It's like they, they did like the day and date release and it was just, I don't know that there was like buzz around it when it first dropped, but yeah, it, it, I don't know. There's, there's a part of me that thinks that matrix, the original matrix was just like a lightning in the bottle moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. Because it, I don't know it, the style of films that they brought together. Like you talk about Hong Kong action um, and just like cyberpunk, like yeah. was cyberpunk, like, is that even like a, a thing in the late nineties that much? I don't know. I can't remember. Was that I like mean, a theme of thing? Like it just felt so, I, I don't know. So, I, so realized. Well, I mean, that term makes me think of Blade Runner, honestly, more than mm -hmm. uh, the matrix. But I definitely think there was this kind of like coalescing going, going back to like your, your comparison to hackers where it's like <laughs> the idea of like, nihilism and chaos anarchy in conjunction with technology i don't know what about you evan what, what's you i think that's an interesting term to dig into and see how it's kind of changed over time i'm glad you guys brought up the sorry to just go back to the red pill thing yes, for a second. No, i'm glad you it. guys brought it up and because <laughs> i was wondering if that was going to come up in discussion and just kind of piggyback on what you were saying chris i think it's just it's just indicative of bad faith reading yes. <laughs> that we see across movies. I'm glad you referenced Fight Club as another example um, because in Breaking Bad, because there's just so many people out there, and I'm going to generalize and say a lot of them are the right wing people who deliberately like <laughs> and oafishly mis misread or misinterpret things and take the wrong messages from yeah. them. Um, and this this movie and Fight Club, another another one that people just take the wrong things away. They don't understand what the commentary is, and they're totally just responding to the wrong things. Glad you guys brought that up because I was thinking that as I was watching, I was like, oh, remembering the whole red pill thing and just kind of shaking yeah, my head. So gross. Yeah, yeah I um. Yeah. So anyway, so sorry you were, but you were asking more about the term like cyberpunk and kind of like digging into that. And, um, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to remember. I feel like there were, there were a few things in the nineties that were kind of like, like this, right? Like there was, there were things like, you know, uh, lawnmower man, <laughs> yes. like things that were like kind of playing in the space of like VR and not quite understanding like what that was going to be. Mm -hmm. There were things like dark city yes. that were, yes. kind of, you know, uh, weird, trippy, heady kind of movies and other movies like in the early 2000s, like Equilibrium, which were trying to kind of like cash in on the yes. like actiony, yeah. you know, future, you know, uh, post apocalyptic ish dystopian future kind of police state thing. <laughs> so I feel like there's, there's definitely something there between like the weird like computer movies and the like. <laughs> insane action movies that was kind of like i feel like the matrix is kind of like situated between them it kind of like right. <laughs> caught some of the like 90s computer stuff when we didn't really know about computers and then inspired a bunch of you know action movies and things that came after it yeah it's like that it's the mixture of the two and there's definitely noari stuff in the beginning mm -hmm. where it's like this mystery fall mm -hmm. the white rabbit and like, yes, yes. you know, the, the phone being in the, you know, in his office where it gets delivered to him. And 
it's like this, the unraveling of the mystery is so, uh, I find, I find it so engaging in the opening part of this movie. Uh, and then the reveal happens, uh, it's sort of like, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's nuts. And I'm sure that's been done before. It sounds like a common, like, trope in sci-fi movies that human beings are, you know, taken over by AI or used for yeah. this or whatever. Um, but I think, it, yeah, it's, to me, like, the... Um, the specialness of this movie is the the philosophical ideas sort of interwined with this um, such a fully painted, uh, specific and unique world. But it is kind of the action that, like, I don't know. There's the action element adds so much to the engagement of it that it like creates stakes for this world that they ha- have created. And it just, I don't know, it just grabs a hold of you. And, and the sequences here, you know, the famous ones, especially the shootout on the lobby uh, or like when the, um, the helicopter and stuff like that or the fight with all the agents at the end, you know, it's, there's something so visceral about the, those scenes that it helps the other stuff get drawn in. Whereas if like it was just like a very heady, like movie about postmodernism, like I'm thinking like Scanner Darkly <laughs> comes to mind. Yeah, it, it just wouldn't. Also, is that Keanu Reeves as well? Uh, right. Also, yeah, Johnny like, Mnemonic. Which yeah, <laughs> Mnemonic. Thank you. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't last like this one has lasted because no. it's just like you know it's a discourse. That's cool. That's fun. I would probably like it, but most people wouldn't wouldn't like it, and it wouldn't. It wouldn't, it, it, this is the cinematic elements here, like, uh, are the uh, sugar that, that, to take down the pill, right? If that makes yeah, sense, yeah. right? And it, it just, <laughs> I don't know, there's something about the mixture of it here. I, I found it like, I was floored that the other lead for this in competition was Johnny Depp. Oh, girl. <laughs> and like it was very close. I think the studio is like really looking at Johnny Depp, and but Keanu Reeves was had the right vibe. I mean, like, can you imagine? That's another kind of element that I want to talk about. Like, I always find with great films, it everything has to click. And this is one of those movies where everything just clicked. Mm-hmm. If a single thing, if it wasn't shot in Sydney, if it Keanu Reeves wasn't available. If Carrie Ann Moss wasn't available, who had like no career before this, right? Right, right, right. Like she's kind of picked out mm-hmm. of nowhere. Um, and then I was some Hugo Weaving, and like, right, like, I was, perfect. I was going to mention that. Like, I was trying to think like what sets this film apart when there's so many other ones like it during this time period, and obviously the Wachowskis are a huge, the biggest piece of it. And everything that they did to kind of imbue all those elements in that mixture, like you said, Dan. But like the thing that's just incredible, and you know, maybe this kind of goes back to your like classicist sensibilities, Dan. But (laughs) like, but like, it is that it is a really, it's so weird. But the reason that it makes that that it's able to like go down so easily is that it has like these really kind of perfect archetypes of uh, not only the protagonist, but like the supporting cast too. And I don't think I, like I did definitely did not appreciate Hugo Weaving's performance when I was a kid watching this movie and like rewatching him in particular is just like, he's, he's on like another level as an antagonist. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. It's, it's insane. Especially when you consider all the different like ways in which technology has become like embodied as an antagonist in sci-fi filmmaking. Um, and also just like that, the, the playing off, I think, I mean, there's a reason why, uh, Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne, not only like, are are integral to this fran- this franchise but like they've also become the reason one of the main reasons why you've been able to build the john wick franchise as well yeah. is that the way those two actors play off each other oh, yeah it's it's so like you it's crazy that you would even like deign to think in this time period that like 
that matchup would make a make so much sense. Like, yeah, it, 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 I, yeah. Don't, I don't know. There's just like, it's one of those things, like you said, Dan, it's like it clicks. And when it clicks, not just in one way, not just in two ways, but like in all Always. these different like tandem pieces, God, I just like get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like the casting is really critical to, it's a critical piece that I think people, kind of underplay sometimes when they're talking about the matrix in terms of why it works so well you know the the cast all works well together and i think one of the things people don't talk about enough in the matrix films in general is i think carrie ann moss and keanu reeves actually have a really great chemistry together Mm -hmm. um and which is i feel like not easy because keanu reeves as much as i like him in things probably not the easiest person to have chemistry with because he kind of I, I don't know. I, just, like, I feel like I've seen other things like how, you know, a kind of a, a little bit of a goofball sometimes. Like, how do you have romantic chemistry with somebody like Keanu? But it works, right. I think. And, and that chemistry just grows over the course of the franchise. And his profile in general is just like kind of the one of the strangest uh, stories in Hollywood, right? Where it's like he was known for his flat, wooden acting in a negative way. I think largely in the nineties and, mm-hmm. you know, it almost feels like the matrix is kind of like that tipping point or one step. And then like John, I mean, I think once again, it's John wick that kind of solidifies him in, you know, over the course of the past 10 years as like one of the like most interesting guys to watch on screen uh, where, you know, all the acting, so much of the acting is internal and yet he's like constantly like trying to like challenge himself physically. There's an interesting uh, um, archival um, profile of Keanu from Empire Magazine from when The Matrix came out and blew up. And you know he it, it, he you know he was doing like much do about nothing, and um, a lot he was like trying to like push himself a lot as an actor. Like obviously he worked with Gus Van Sant and tons yeah. of other. Um, interesting uh projects even during these time periods where he wasn't as like well regarded as a quote serious talented actor and like a lot of the interview kind of interrogates this idea of him getting kind of like stereotyped as you know the dumb guy from point break or as like there was like gay rumors because he played uh, a male prostitute with river phoenix in my own private idaho because he had a close friendship with david geffen and they like lived together for a while and there was just there's just like something so refreshing look going back and looking at that and like like i feel bad that like i kind of like i loved the matrix i loved speed i loved point break but i still was kind of like in this camp of just assuming that you know these movies succeeded despite him. But now all these years later, it's kind of like, I'm finally realizing like, no, this guy like is actually very deliberate and careful and precise. And, you know, that was just, that was just like Hollywood blowhardism at its finest. I think back then. Yeah. I mean, he, he had the, and that follow, that's followed him until very recently. I would say in last to the last decade, mm-hmm. Keanu w- was definitely seen as I don't know an aloof sort of not all there all the time actor who, you know, I think the the tough part about that too is especially you know growing up in the '90s and early 2000s, he didn't have it, it was indicated he didn't have the chops. Right, he wasn't like a technically sound actor. But like, yeah, I mean, you watch The Matrix, and sure, a lot of his there's depth in his reactions that before felt shallow. Mm. You're sort of like, Oh no, there's, he's doing something else. And yeah. it just took us like mm-hmm. 30, 30 years. I to know. Figure it out. He's been, he's um, been yeah. living in the future. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that they chose him too. It was clear that they needed somebody in this role who was like one physically committed. Cause it was like six months of, physical training Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then two the thing that really got on the roll was the fact that he could understand the philosophy that they were trying to at least um introduce to people yeah and he was into it too and so it's like they needed really somebody they basically said that we need someone who's a maniac and 
would would do this with us and he was the guy but that's like it speaks values about who he was back then that like he was willing to do this even as somebody who could go out and get a big movie um you know and uh he he chose the matrix <laughs> it's like yeah this is what i want to do uh, but by the way uh, a movie from directors who had only directed one film before yeah right this is their second movie i know after bound which is incredible yeah but it's definitely like a first movie like it's a it's a small kind of crime chamber film thing i don't know i'm curious like eh, i don't know i i know that i need to go back and also give speed racer another try and i know that <laughs> cloud alice uh, i don't know about that but <laughs> what's, what's your take on cloud alice but that's uh, it's yeah. it's a tr- it's a trudge um what's your take evan on the witch and how they were able to both convince uh universal to to let him let them do this and also like how they're kind of career has gone over the past 20 some years i mean i i haven't seen bound but i've seen some of their other movies and uh (laughs) i feel like to to i think i think it was dan you said this was kind of a lightning in the bottle situation like seeing some of the other movies that I feel like haven't worked as well over the years for the record, I did actually like cloud Atlas. When I saw <laughs> okay. That. Okay. Nice. It's, it's on the theater. Um, things like Jupiter ascending. Oh, that I feel like just didn't work very well. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of something else that I've seen over there. I haven't seen speed racer, but I know that one kind of got destroyed critically. And then people have kind of reevaluated yep. it over the yeah. years. Um, but I mean, when I saw when I saw the Matrix, I was like, these these people clearly are talented, and they have some interesting things to say. And so I kind of feel bad that they they haven't met with more success uh, over the years, and that they've kind of the Matrix is really like the biggest thing that they have in their kind yeah. of in their resume. I I haven't given never given it a try, but uh, a lot of people swear by Sense Eight. There, yeah, Netflix it's show. good. It's good is it okay it, it's like it it's definitely them right it's such like a full realization of i think what they were missing in the matrix reload and revolutions and uh, you know maybe some speed racer in there too it's just yeah it's bonkers it's like hyper sexualized but like super fun at the same time i don't know it's like a it's also like a really unique mixture of things Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a great TV show, but it's certainly like a fun, engaging one that's like, you know, thought provoking. So it's worth yeah. checking out. That's probably of the things that they've done since The Matrix. Sense8 to me is by far the best thing they've yeah. done. Okay, cool, cool. We should probably uh, uh, segue on over oh, to Starship Trooper. Mr. Vero. And speaking of over sexualized, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, start, man, this one's a, this one's a, a sticky wicket, as they say. <laughs> Just because it's it, there's too, almost too many layers going on, right? Because or, when or I first not saw it, I don't know. <laughs> or not when enough. I first saw it in theaters in back in '97. Mm-hmm. I think I saw it in theaters. I must have seen it in theaters. I saw everything in theaters. And they remember before Columbine, they didn't check IDs for R-rated movies, right? And so if you're like 13, 15, you can go see an R-rated movie. No one cares, especially um, you. You had like a beard of fifteen, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and. Uh, I remember seeing it. I'm still working on that beer. <laughs> one day, Me too. One day. Me too, Evan. Uh, I remember like walking out of the theater and being like, <laughs> what the hell did I just watch? I mean, I picked up on none of it. Yeah. Yeah. Not, and on my rewatch, I have to say, it's like, it's one of those movies where, okay, I saw it when I was younger. I didn't get it. I think our friend Hendrix, friend of the show, yes. he kind of explained it to me. And I was like, Oh, like this is probably when we were in high school. I was like, wait, wait, what? And then I went back and we watched it and then I picked up on everything. But it took somebody who's like way smarter than me about movies to like <laughs> tell me like what it was all about. And I was like, I was like, okay. Uh, but now I don't know. I have such a weird relationship with this movie because on rewatch, I read this New Yorker article. I read all, you know, all these like little essays about it and like how it was such this amazing satire. But then I watched it, to, you know, uh, in the last week or so. And I'm just like, God, it still feels like that same movie I saw when I was a teenager. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a classic teenage boy film, yeah. really. Um, the thing that I... So I, 
before the rewatch for the episode, the last time I'd seen it was during the pandemic. I don't know if you were present for this one, Dan, but we, our friends, we oh, yeah. like would do a Friday night. We called it dumb movie night over zoom. And, uh, we would always argue about like what constituted a quote dumb movie. And this was one of those <laughs> controversial picks where it's, it's awesome, like, man. yeah, I didn't, I didn't pick it, but like, it seemed like a number of our friends thought that it was a dumb movie. Um, but like Paul Verhoeven is just kind of like, he's like a classic, like himbo director, right? Where it's just like, mm-hmm. he, I don't know how much, it's one of those you don't know. Is he putting very little thought into what he's doing, or is he putting like all the thought into what he's doing? Either way, you slice it, the guy is horny as hell, and he has this kind of like super idiosyncratic singular voice that is also just like so trashy on the surface and like gleefully so that it's really. It is hard. I don't. I don't think that makes you dumb. And our friend smarter Dan to like be able to like look to pick apart and see what it's trying to say about like fascism and totalitarianism. But because like it's almost as if the machine of filmmaking that he's a part of uh, is 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 almost like taking pleasure in that fascism and totalitarianism, right? And that goes back to, to RoboCop um, and yeah. also is true in his you know less sci-fi oriented films like L and Basic Instinct. I don't know. What, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your history with Starship Troopers, Evan. I'm curious because I did hear you uh, agree with me where Dan said he's, he's thinking too much and I think... You agree with me that maybe not, maybe not enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you made a comment about it being a, a teenage boy movie, <laughs> and I think I remember seeing this somewhere in that range and really enjoying it. Um, my history is with Paul Verhoeven is that I, I love, I love his movies. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of my favorite directors when he is living in the land of, of satire mm-hmm. and sci-fi action. So RoboCop and Total Recall are, are high up there. RoboCop specifically is yeah. probably top 10 of all time for me nice. because it's just such a sharp mixture of action and social commentary. And I remember when I saw this the first time, I thought, thought that I really liked the commentary (laughs) and upon revisiting this movie just a couple of hours ago it was shockingly unsubtle in what it had to say (laughs) even by Paul Verhoeven's standards and um it just I don't know it didn't quite work as well for me this on on this viewing it felt about as subtle as a bomb it just really was not landing with me even though i like the sentiment like i like what it's going for in terms of its commentary on fascism and war and the military industrial complex and the trademark horniness with which (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just didn't quite work for me as well this time around it was kind of a bummer actually i was like thinking i would sit down and be like oh this is gonna be so fun to revisit this movie that i enjoyed and then i just thought damn damn this is not as good as i remember it by a long shot yeah (laughs) i mean i I think that's the kind of feeling that i had on this this recent watch because it i I probably watched it once every four or five years uh, since it came out and um yeah, I would say like the the peak of it was like ten years ago. I was like, oh man, nobody got this. It was a box office failure. Like he like made this you know polemic and put it out for you know hundred billion dollars or something. Uh, you know this like you know middle finger to like the industry. But now I watch it, and I'm just like, yeah, man. Like I I get it, but it, and this is the hardest thing. It actually reminds me a little bit of Far From Heaven. <laughs> bear with oh, me interesting. okay bear with me in the fact that like far from heaven was like an homage film to someone who had like a satirical style back in the 50s right um here it's like he's trying to do satire but like while filming a baywatch episode <laughs> and it, it just for some reason it doesn't click anymore for me you know i get what he's doing i get what he's criticizing I also love the fact that he didn't really read the book that he 
uh, <laughs> yeah. that he that he's based oh, yeah. on. This is a terrible adaptation of <laughs> yeah. the book. He's like, what did he say? I stopped it for two chapters because it was so boring. Is what he said, <laughs> um, which sounds like him. Uh, he's probably lying too. He seems like one of those guys that's like makes up pull quotes. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and yeah, it just uh, look. I I feel like we're doing a disservice because. There is a ton of American political satire, especially from someone not a European, like making a movie here in the system. It was really a polemic when it came out. Like nobody got it. The Washington Post called him a neo-Nazi. Like he was doing something really interesting and kind of brave on some level to make a movie like this. And he is a brave filmmaker. Um, except for let's, let's throw out hollow man. Let's not oh, gosh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, you know, it's funny because this one's landing with a lot less punch for me, but like Showgirls has become one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah. And like, yeah that's right. In a completely non ironic way. And I just like, I'm <laughs> so confused by him. He's such a, he's such an odd filmmaker overall. I don't know. Yeah, I think there, uh, to, to kind of give a good example or like Verhoeven in a nutshell, um, he, he did a interview on the 20th anniversary of uh, Starship Troopers back in 2017. And he, uh, one of the things that he he takes issue to from remembering when the film was skewered upon its release was that this basic this notion essentially that you know he was he he wasn't really trying to do anything he was just trying he was like basically just uh the the the, the kind of uh sound bite was that it was quote 90210 in space um <laughs> And, and he took issue with this specifically because he said, uh, like, I didn't cast Casper Van Dien and Denise Richards um, uh, because they looked like uh, teen idols. He says, I took them because I wanted them to look like the people you see in Lenny Riefenstahl's movie, The Triumph of the Will. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like going back to Evan's point, like, that's like just it's so dreadfully obvious today but and it's unfortunate that it hasn't aged well. But is it also perhaps mm-hmm. the that one of the um, I, I don't know. I'm also I'm I'm kind of saddened that it hasn't aged well because it, is it is it that it. Is it that it's so obvious today? Just because, like, I mean, we're older and wiser, and we're a lot more keen to uh, picking apart satire um especially when it's like so over the top and in your face like this is like verhoven is in general or is it going back to the the cold open of the show like is it just like does it is what's really happening is that we're just like feeling kind of yucky about it because verhoven was right and this is kind of like where we're at um I mean, I well, I don't. I'm not trying to open a minefield, but like, the only good bug is a dead bug, and we have like Netanyahu calling Palestinians it, uh, human animals, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's nuts that 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 we've we've in some ways, in some really horrific ways, gone backwards in terms of like trying to. Uh, trying to negotiate with our own like nationalism and patriotism. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing related to that is, and that's come up on like, and there's a couple articles that I read about this movie where they're essentially saying that, Oh, it was so this is, you know, it's come to fruition and all that sort of stuff. I would, I would not that I disagree with that point that it has come to fruition. I would say the reason that it doesn't age so well is that because, a lot of it became real and like there's a a humorous uh irony to what he's doing in starship troopers where it's not funny anymore yeah yeah. you know like when you talk about stuff specifically like the response to covid and like i would say like uh, the conspiracy theories that um propped up and like all the QAnon stuff specifically like there's a satire of fascism or like totalitarianism, it, it didn't go deep enough, right? It's not absurd enough. 
because the reality of it is so much more ridiculous than what he was showing here. That I think that's one of the reasons for me where it's sort of like, it's actually feels pretty mild can like mm. compared to reality. And I think that's the, I don't know. That's one that sticks out to me is like, it feels like a very nineties critique of fascism when like the stakes felt probably way lower in the United States than they do now. Clinton era. And, yeah. Yeah. Like there was no wars that we were fighting, you know, like, you know, people well, could I afford mean, houses. Okay, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. We were bombing people in other places. <laughs> we're always doing that. Right. We're always but doing we were, that. We were more like that description in the matrix when Lawrence Fishburne says, you know, the, the peak of human civilization, yeah. the like, you know, turn of the, <laughs> well, but this goes along with that whole idea of end of history that was big in postmodernism. That, like, mm-hmm. at this point, democracy was going to win, and there was an alternative besides capitalism and democracy, but it turns out there is. And mm-hmm. it's <laughs> and it's a little bit darker than people thought it was going to be. You know what I mean? I don't right. know. I'm going to go on a tangent. I, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, what, I mean, I feel like this is maybe a good kind of uh, a barreling through to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this concept in the sci-fi genre of like exploring what warfare looks like in the future, whether it be, you know, a technological enemy or an alien enemy or any kind of like stand in for essentially a foreign enemy. What like, is that, is it as simple as like, look at what the U S administration is during that time period. I don't know because mad, I mean, Mad Max Fury road at the height of Trump or like on the precipice of Trump. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it, if it, if it's that clean, especially with movies like this, where like you mentioned, Verhoeven's a European and he's maybe looking at it from a more like zoomed out international lens. Uh, but is it, I don't know, what do you, I mean, what do you make of this, Evan? What it, What's the, what is the obsession with integrating warfare into the sci-fi genre? Why can't we just have a nice little movie <laughs> like about... Like After Yang or something. <laughs> yeah, or Steven Spielberg's AI artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think war movies are compelling to people in general and putting them in a sci-fi world you can often have an alien enemy which is you know you're dealing with superior technology possibly um superior tactics and things like that that you know it's a higher hurdle to overcome if you're in the human race it's easy to make movies like independence day where it's you know (laughs) it's easy to side with the humans okay the aliens are coming they're trying to kill us so we have to fight back um and and i like that this movie is you know we're seeing the bugs and we're seeing the people triumphing over them but you don't feel good about it you know it's like (laughs) clearly like we're on the offensive we're trying to kill these these bugs um so sorry i guess i got a little distracted from your question but. <laughs> that's fine <laughs> um i mean yeah it's the thing about it here is to evan's point it just it it allows a director to create this heroic story essentially or in star wars i mean the matrix is all about the hero's journey like literally on mm-hmm. like it's point for point um and they just tend to do it in this like really cool like sci-fi world in starship troopers is way more i would say problematic because it wants to critique a a political movement that happens you know 50 years 60 years before i don't know 40 years what is it i don't can't do math 50 years before (laughs) it came out um and you know and at the same time try to critique you know, what's going, what was happening in the late nineties. And I think whenever we see these movies, it's always like, obviously a reflection of what the anxieties of that moment. Right. And the matrix is all about the fear of the millennium and what it's going to bring and like Mm -hmm. what computers are going to bring. And like starship troopers is all about, I think because of this sort of political malaise that was happening in the late nineties, 
I think it's kind of about like, hey, something bad's probably going to happen, and this mm-hmm. could be our response. It could be right around the flag, you know, and like, look what happened after 9-11 and like the wars in Afghanistan and the wars in specifically more in Iraq. That kind of happened. Yeah. And he even talked about in Starship Troopers when he was doing it, one of his inspirations was George W. Bush basically, you know, murdering death row people in Texas left and right. That's where we get that scene in Starship Troopers. Mm. And so, like, you know, it, it all ties together, but I think it's all, you know, they're all future-based. They're all, it's it basically a blank canvas to express what people are, like, terrified of in that moment. And I think both of these movies, you know, coming at the late 90s, it's fear of this sort of the new world that was coming that nobody really understood that is too, too technologically advanced for anybody. And we can't understand anything <laughs> and the fear that things are going to kind of get out of control and have they, I don't know. Have they, I'm going to ask you guys. Have they? <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I just found out today from my students, I teach high school, uh, that there's like a thing, like the, one of the new viral things on TikTok is people talking about, like to basically doing anxiety spiral vlogging about the p- possibility of uh, a world war three on the precipice of like Ukraine and Palestine and all that. And yeah. the, uh, in, in the tick, in my students words, in the TikTokers words, quote, the inevitability of a reinstatement of a American draft. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, this is a thing that like, you know, and I mean, essentially ever since, you know, Trump, uh, did the whole like you know nuclear scare thing with you with uh, Ukraine? I don't know. Yeah. It's so weird that that was just like a a, a minor yeah. <laughs> episode yeah. in the Trump administration. But like that, there is there is a lot of World War anxiety, especially with the youth, in terms of just like sure. feeling on the edge of something horrible and a lot of that has to do with trump but i mean it's not doesn't like it doesn't seem any more safe like in the aggregate you know internationally um with biden i don't know what what's what's your take evan i'm gonna let the guest have the final word oh boy (laughs) no pressure (laughs) we're just tossing out big issues right right now yeah oh man i mean so I really liked what you guys were saying about this, the the nineties and the kind of fear of the unknown and the new millennium. Cause that was a kind of a palpable theme that was kind of running through a lot of different movies of the era. And on the one hand you think, okay, well some of that fear was unfounded. You think of, you know, Y2K yeah. and you know, how, how worried we were. I remember, you know, new year's eve you know on the cusp of the year 2000 kind of sitting there with my family like watching you know the (laughs) the ball drop and thinking oh god like who knows what's gonna happen like you know things planes could fall out of the sky and okay and then none none of that happened right and so we're sitting there going okay well that was kind of you know silly and, and ridiculous to be afraid of stuff like that but then you have you know this this fascist commentary going on in starship troopers and you know, we were complacent at, at the time, and there has been a lot of bad stuff that's <laughs> happened yeah. in the wake of 9-11 and even, you know, the last however many years of consolidation of power under Trump and the Supreme Court. And uh, so we did have some stuff to be afraid of. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And it was all like happening then, too. It's like you think of like, like a not, not a politics podcast, but Newt Gingrich, Contract with America. It was all happening in this time period. And people were just like, oh, whatever. I'm more worried about like talking about Nazism and stuff like that. I don't know. That's a whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I think ultimately both of the movies are like great expressions of the late 90s and like what. What people were concerned with back then, probably not the right things to be afraid of in that moment, but you know, it is what it is. It's an expression of the time. Right. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, and AI right, right now is still a thing. I uh, think people are afraid of, and they're only going to become more afraid of it, <laughs> even more so than, you know, from the matrix. Yeah. We talked about, we did a lot of AI talk in the, um, we did the creator show mm-hmm. and I like I me and Chris on the wrong side, two opposite sides of that. Bring it on. I say. 
Yeah, no, yeah, Dan's gonna, you know, worship at the altar of an AI god. Uh, he's ready to do it now if if it presents itself. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, trivia. He's like, I one welcome our new AI overlord. I, on the other <laughs> hand, am a high school English teacher trying to grade these fucking essays. So, <laughs> ChatGPT essays. You're grading ChatGPT. You're grading AI right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man thank you so much evan for joining us it's a pleasure as always and um what's going on uh spoiler piece theater we've got um lots of great episodes lately to dive into i would be curious if there's like one recent ish episode that you would uh urge our listeners to to seek out a particular film that uh uh, your crew agreed on as one of the best of the year thus far, or one that's like super polarizing that uh, makes for an interesting listen from varying viewpoints. So I've uh, been off the show for a couple of weeks, actually, because I, my wife and I welcomed a daughter in September. Oh, so congrats. I, it's been a few episodes since I've been on, <laughs> um, but I will, I will selfishly say the last one of the last episodes I was on, we talked about a film, uh, this is episode 477. We talked about a film, Our Father the Devil, which I thought Ooh. was a really interesting movie. And it was a lot of great discussion. And the kind of like short version um, is there's this woman who is working in like a retirement home as like a chef. And this new priest shows up at the uh, retirement home. And she realizes that he is the warlord that was presumed dead in her home country, uh, who like used her as a child soldier and so she has this like really horrifying situation of seeing this guy and like trying to figure out what the hell she's gonna do with the fact that she knows who he really is nice that sounds really yeah. bad i gotta add that to the list for sure yes <laughs> highly recommend it <laughs> Next week on uh, Film Trace, or whatever, two weeks, whenever Dan gets around to it, um, <laughs> <laughs> we will be diving into the 1980s, as we alluded to earlier, uh, look at Aliens, James Cameron's uh, sequel to the Ridley Scott film, and also it's a double shot Jimmy Cam episode, uh, his original 1984, The Terminator, as well. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Ooh, that'll be a fun one. Oh, yeah. Dude, James Cameron's going to be a fun episode. Uh, a lot of good back and forth. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been Phil Trace. Phil Trace.